This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. Boom, what episode is this? Episode, uh, episode 8, I believe. It's like 8 or 9. Yeah, something, yeah, something like that. We got some yeah. backlog episode. We yeah. have Claw Money in the house. What? I'm super <laughs> excited right yeah. now. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, yeah. you, you so know what? This is, I'm in the motherland. I am from Flushing. Yeah. That's the shit. Yeah, you're from uh, the fr- Fresh Meadows. Queens, from right? Fresh That's Meadows, where you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was born in Flushing. I lived here until I guess I was like a little under one. Was there a, was there a scene in Fresh when Man I was Flushing? one? It was huge. It was <laughs> yo, that shit was popping. Um, no, there's a lot of graffiti writers from Fresh Meadows. Uh-huh. KAC, that crew. Mm-hmm. They're like yes, and um, oh my god, my, I have like Alzheimer's. Um, all my boys, you know, hey, <laughs> Greed and Greed's brother. Um, yeah, like I, but I was already. Moved to Long Island okay. when I was 11 or 12. When did you first have an idea and start noticing that graffiti existed as a, as a thing outside of just random Metallica tags and stuff like that? Well, I think I became really infatuated with graffiti as a kid, driving in the back of my dad's like Buick with my sister, and there was this writer named Mirage. At the time, I didn't know his name. He drew these three-toed feet. It almost looked like a Hang 10 logo. Okay. You know, foot, R-A-P? Yeah. It was like foot, but it had three toes. Um, it was on every overpass. Go from the Bronx to like deep Long Island. It was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know it was graffiti. But my sister and I, we would play all those like car games and we'd be like, there's one and there's one and there's a green one and there's a white one and there's a blue one. They would always be in like fun colors and stuff. We were obsessed with it. Just just that that one particular. At, but I was really young. I'm going to say, you know, seven, eight. Like I really started like fixating on that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I gave it like another thought other than like in the car. And then my uncle bought me... Um, what's the famous book that everybody gets? Uh, Subway Art. I'm telling you, I really do have all of them. <laughs> you know, kids, that book. Um, <laughs> and then I started noticing it as graffiti, where it was just this thing, and I didn't know what it was. I just was like, oh, it's feet. Look, more feet. Feet, 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 feet. And then I sort of like realized the relationship of it. And then by the time I was in like high school, junior high school, everybody was just sort of scribbling their name everywhere, like mm-hmm. in school, on the desk, in the, you know, bathroom, in the stairway case. And my nickname was Claw, so I was writing Claw. Yeah. But it wasn't stylized graffiti. It wasn't yeah. like it wasn't really real graffiti. It was like child graffiti, like sort of mm-hmm. everyday normal mm-hmm. kid stuff yeah. that's that's really funny that you say that because so i was born in manhattan i lived in queens for a while until i moved away then i came back but i would always come here every month when i didn't live here 
and I didn't write or anything like that, but I would be looking at the graph and the only one I ever noticed was traps uh, T. And I didn't know it was a T and I didn't know what graph was, but I would just remember seeing that T, the t the, uh, I thought it was like a star. I remember seeing the star everywhere and I'd be driving, with my parents would be driving. I'd be looking at the back uh, out, out of the window and stuff. Seeing, I would just be anywhere I could see it. I would just, you know what I mean? Kind of like the same thing. So but I didn't pay attention to the names. I think it was, uh, and you know, if I really look back on my like over 30 year mm. career, that this was all sort of like subconscious decision making. Mm. But the fact that it was this like iconic image mm. that didn't, you didn't need to read it. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was sort of like understandable and my graffiti developed and turned into sort of like mm-hmm. an icon because I, I guess I realized at some point that it was just much yeah. easier for other people to pick out. They didn't have to say like, what does that say? Like, I see mm-hmm. letters. I don't understand it. The claw, the foot, med star, traps tea, like... Mm-hmm. They're so easily like digestible to the brain mm-hmm. that um, it's like a stamp, right? Yeah. It it makes it so much mm. sort of uh, stand out in a way mm. where where letters sort of fall mm. back. It's yeah. interesting. A lot of people know you from that film Infamy that I personally have seen a lot of times, and um, it's a good movie. you you come off in there as like the black sheep of your family. What, what do you have to say about that? Like, how was it growing up doing that, and everyone was against it? Well, it's funny. As much as everybody was against it, um, everybody weirdly respected it in a, mm. in a, in a strange way. Even outside your family or? In, even yeah. inside my family, yeah. like the more I think about it. Mm. Like it, maybe I felt like I was like black sheep, but yeah. I was like really actually like hyper supported. My cousins yeah, yeah, like yeah, loved yeah. it and they were like, oh, my cousin's claw. And they were like going to school in Manhattan. They were, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, I think even my other cousins who were sort of more like nerdy than me, they kind of were like, oh, she's so crazy. Like, um, I think maybe 15 years ago when that movie came out, I was on my way up. But Mm. it's it's sort of um, backfired where like my family, like they're so proud of me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, because I remember in the in the in infamy you were saying how you didn't ever really wanted to talk to your mom about it. Well, my mother, my mother is a separate issue. My mother d- has completely no idea who I am, what I do, what the claw is. Yeah. I I had this like insane job painting all the windows at Lord and Taylor on Fifth Avenue. I had like a full two two blocks on Fifth Avenue for, for three months, like mm. covered in claws. And I thought like, finally, my mother, <laughs> I have the windows, the Lord and Taylor mom, yeah, come yeah. like, she's yeah. like, why, like, why would they have that? That, yeah. oh, that must look terrible. Like, oh, you painted your claw. Like, so she just asked me recently, I had to like do some job or something. So she's like, how did the mirror go? <laughs> I was like, it was fine, mom. She's like, what did you paint? I'm like, oh, mom, come on. I painted claws. She's like, what? Clouds? I'm like, you know, claws. And she's like, oh, you painted claws. Like, ugh. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had um, no... She's like, you could do better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had No Bjork on the show actually recently, and he was talking about how in his whole life, amongst everybody he knows, he feels most in common with his graffiti writers. Like, what would you say about that? Have you, did you, do you feel like you have most in common with those kind of people? Well, I don't 
know if I have most in common with graffiti writers. Um, I find myself having like most in common with like other women that are like really mm. like striving okay. to do uh, major things like in the world. Mm. I think having graffiti as um, you know a point of reference gives a commonality to so many other people. Mm. Um, once you meet a graffiti writer anywhere in the world, of course you have so much in common, but I don't know if it's if that's how I feel mm. in, in the same yeah. way. But I definitely think that, you know, there's uh, in, an intrinsic understanding mm. when you meet another graffiti writer, yeah. like, globally. Yeah, like, like an like, unspoken bond in a way. Totally, yeah. right? And you yeah. can, like, be boys with somebody and they yeah. not even speak yeah. the same language and they get it. Mm. Yeah. What about... You were saying uh, that, like, going back to the infamy thing about how it almost seemed as if I read in an interview you were saying how graffiti for New York City youth was to you like a rite of passage, and then a lot of people were into it. It's just like the crazy ones or whatever that would stick with it. And you were talking about how you said there was something in my life I was always missing. I didn't feel like I was here, and the graffiti drowned out your insecurities and makes you feel like you can do anything. It's like you're in your own little private world, very connected to the world around you. Do you feel like growing up in whatever family situation you were in and discovering graffiti on your own that helped you deal with the problems of day-to-day life? Yeah. I mean, I really think that, damn, my parents must have did a bad job. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> because they weren't, like, kind of navigating me to things that were making me feel really good about myself. They were sort of navigating me to things that made me feel bad, whether it was, like, ballet mm. or piano. Like, I, I didn't excel in that. I was good at art, but I think they were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, just here, sit down and draw, but they weren't, like, bringing me to, like, art class. Like, what if they had, like, nurtured that more or really sort of been in touch with, like, what what I needed? I think they really were like, you are going to be this. And Mm. my, uh, my father grew up, like, super poor in East New York, Brooklyn, and fucking went to college on a scholarship, went to medical school on a scholarship, but, like, so poor, Mm -hmm. like, where they couldn't even afford to take, like, the bus, and it was, like, a nickel or something. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you're going to be a doctor. God damn it. Like, (laughs) I'm a dentist. I couldn't get into, like, like medical school. I got into dental school, but, like, you're going to be a goddamn doctor. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to be a goddamn doctor. And you knew it from the start. I fucking was like, I'm not going to be a goddamn doctor. Like, I'm just not. Mm-hmm. And my sis- my sis- my younger sister's doctor, okay? He got yeah. what he wanted, right? But I just was like, I'm not, like, I'm not doing that, you know? Um, I think that they had all these expectations because I grew up in, uh, you know, a different set of circumstances mm-hmm. yeah. than they did, and they had, like, these, like, major expectations for me, and it put too much pressure on me. Then I went the opposite, and I was like, I'm going to fucking do what I want. Then I get involved in graffiti, and it turns out it has all these, like, rules and annoying things and yeah. mm-hmm. patriarchal fucking lineage bullshit that you got to follow anyway. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> I um I was just like, yo, fuck this. Like I'm just going to like do this because everybody's telling me I can't and I kind of can. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to do it. And of course, we didn't have the internet then. 
and I could sort of just like sneak around and be claw and nobody nobody, knew. nobody was like you know way harder to find out who's who yeah completely mm-hmm. and I remember for like a really long time that I would just like hear all these stories about like the claw and like who she could be him yeah. big black guy with one arm yeah. <laughs> uh, he's this like huge dude who like uh, uses a cane this that like and uh, I was finally I was just like cool like this is yeah. cool yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. not gonna tell anybody the more, the more mysterious the better <laughs> <laughs> I was like alright um and I think, like, I was able to sort of stay in the shadows for, uh, like, a very long time. And that was uh, a, a real, like, and you know, writers today, like, they don't even know about that. But that was a, a huge advantage, I think. And now that you see it, I've dealt with a lot of the same things of you're born into this family and you are going to be a doctor. Before you're born, you're already going to be this thing in the eyes of your parents and it's not that they come from a place of uh, negativity and trying to ruin your life and not let you be who you want to be. More so, it's just, you know, like traditions. It's immigrants. That they wanna... They're yeah, immigrants, exactly. yes. and they want better for their children, yes. and they want to just totally change the entire family's trajectory in one generation. Yeah. I fucking get it. I have yes. a kid now, too, and I, like, pin hopes and dreams on him, mm-hmm. and I try really hard mm-hmm. not to pin them too deep. That's because, what I wanted to ask you. Right. Now, that you have a ch- now that you have a child of your own, how do you... St- because it's just normal to have expectations that you really want fulfilled. How do you deal with that? Well, I just, I feel like I talk to my kid in a really real, real way. And right now I'm really like breaking down like the internet fuckery to him mm. with these like gamers and like lame YouTubers that want you to subscribe and buy their merch. Mm. And I'm trying to like explain all this stuff to him. And he's just like so mad. And so like, no, they really shouted me out. I'm like, they shouted you out because they have a bot that sees who's watching Mm. it. And it's going to say your name because they want you to spend money. So you think that they like you. And he's like, no, like, so... I'm like, listen, if you want to be a YouTuber and a famous gamer, you better fucking be smart because those are the only ones that make it. So yeah. get your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't spend your life, like, watching this. Like, yeah. So I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's really hard. Like, you want what's best for them, but they have their own ideas about stuff. And, you know, everybody's like, what would you do if your kid is going to be a graffiti writer. And I'm like, what do you fucking think I'm going to do? I'm going to fucking look out. (laughs) 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 But he's not going to want to because his mother and father are graffiti writers. And he's like, ew. You know what I mean? (laughs) Watch him be a doctor. Watch this motherfucker be a doctor. (laughs) A gaming doctor. (laughs) He only fixes people who have, like, you know, problems with their... (laughs) with their joints from... uh, from playing, playing too much. Playing yeah. too much, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but from day one, you knew that the doctor route wasn't for you, and I know you went to FIT, right? Uh-huh, I did. Was, was that, you just knew you were going to do art, period? Uh, I knew I was going to do art. I started going to FIT, and then I started going to nightclubs, mm-hmm. and then I stopped going to FIT, and my father was like, oh, my God, you're failing school. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not paying for college. Like, just for you to fucking fail, just for you to have housing and, like, get a job. And uh, I got a job as, like, a Gal Friday receptionist um, 
for my father's like friend's son's sweater company and then from there I just started moving around moved my way out to like an assistant designer um within like a really short period like a year or so and then I was like writing graffiti and I'm like trying to show up in the morning on time to do like pencil sketches Mm. of like commodity coats that are whatever everything kind of looked the same all the brands sort of looked the same this like crazy 90s um color block like ski jackets Mm -hmm. but they were like fashion so they weren't really like warm Mm. yeah yeah and I remember drinking like so much coffee and this was like before you had computer illustration you had to draw everything with a pencil every little stitch to like delineate where all like the different cuts of the fabric were and my hand would like shake from drinking (laughs) so much coffee and I was like this is just not for me and then I started working illegally in nightclubs (laughs) because it was fit my schedule better and um that is basically you know like I I you could basically make no money uh in the 80s and 90s in Manhattan Mm -hmm. and kind of still have a good time and Mm -hmm. have a cheap apartment I think I paid two hundred and thirty-five dollars a month rent. Yeah. I had two other roommates, and like, yeah, mm. like something crazy. And you know, you only had to make a couple of bucks, and you go mm. have a ten-dollar bill in your pocket, and go out and have a few drinks, and be yeah. fine. Like, yeah. it was a, it was a different time. You didn't have this pressure to fucking win to mm. you know hustle and like it wasn't you know you could sort of walk around and write graffiti mm. leisurely. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And not have to constantly figure out how you're going to fucking pay your rent, like pay your bills. Life. You don't have to fucking mm. pay. You have internet bills. You don't have a cell phone bill. It's just different. You mm. know what I mean? Mm. Sounds like a dream. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it was. It was. Now that I think about it, it was just so much less complicated. Yeah. So it was, it was FIT and design assistant by day, claw money by night. Right. And... Uh, so then after that kind of dried up when, you know, I got fired from like two different jobs and I'm like, I can't fucking work a day job. Like, you know, and then I was like coat check girl. And then finally I became a bartender and started working in the nightclub scene. And that's when sort of like all my fashion stuff started up again mm. because now I'm like working in a nightclub. I don't have a lot of money, so I'm going to go to the thrift store mm-hmm. and buy a dress mm. and cut it up and make it into something else. And then people started coming to the bar and like, where did you get that? I'm mm. like, well, I made it. I repurposed <laughs> it. And they're like, well, when you're done with it, yeah. why don't you sell it at my store? And yeah. then I started, you know, oh, I'm short on cash. Let me sell mm. this. I'll make another one. Da, 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 da. Mm. So I sort of started to like dip my toe back into fashion yeah. speaking of brand i find it really interesting how back in the days like there weren't really graphics on the tees and women's clothing you, s- you were talking about that in an interview and you just kind of said fuck that and you started making your own graphics and that's when your brand like popped right how'd that happen yeah um well i i guess uh fast forward we're talking like the late 80s early 90s here like FIT and then like I'm steady bartending in the early 90s I guess and then I moved to Cali 
to get out of New York because I had like tons of beef, whatever, la, 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 a million things happened. I moved back to New York. And while I was in California, I became an assistant stylist. I moved back to New York. I was like, I can be a stylist. I'm going to be, I'm going to do this for a living and I'm not going to assist. And I started like working my way up to that. And then I met a young uh, Miss 17 and she started working for me as an assistant and we started hanging out. We became besties and she kept trying to get me to paint. Mm. And this is like the, like. Uh, 99, 2000 something. And I'm like, oh, it's for you kids. I don't do that anymore. Like, and then one night she got me out there. I don't know. I was drunk. She, she got me. And we did a couple of spots. And the next day, I just remember my phone going off like the mm -hmm. hook. Mm -hmm. Yo, you're painting again? And yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> I guess it was all over the internet. Claws back. Oh my god, I saw a claw on Avenue C and there's pictures and I'm so happy. Oh my god, I haven't seen a claw. So I guess I had like sort of given up graph from uh, when I left New York in 94 for you know, I painted a bunch in LA 95, 96 and sort of stopped in 97 and then I'm in New York. So good 6 years, right? And then the claw started popping up and then um stuff started really changing fashion-wise. There was a store called, like, Prohibit that was um, run by this guy, Dagan, and this Japanese woman, Miwa, that was importing, like, Japanese denim and kind of vape, and then, like, A-Life opened, and, um, hey, why don't you do a claw for my T-shirt brand? Hey, why don't you do a claw for my Japanese denim brand? And I woke up one morning, and I was like, I have this great idea. I should put a claw on a T-shirt. And it was sort of like after 9-11, the, the city was so depressed. Mm. Everybody was just like, what the fuck are we going to do? Like, we're going to just let this be a shithole? No, let's rebuild the city. And, like, these cool stores started opening up. It was very like, we're New Yorkers, we're all gonna stick together. And um, boom, I put a claw on a t-shirt. And here we are. And you started it first three years out of your basement, right? Yeah, out of my basement. And it was like a side job to my styling gig as just like a, you know, like as a, a joke, I, I made a t-shirt and put it in A-Life and I put it in Prohibit and the next day it's gone. Can you make more? Can you make them for men? Can you make them on black? Can you make them on gray? Da, da, da. I must have made like 20,000 of that one, that first run. Like it just was wow. everywhere. And also all my styling gigs had dried up. Nobody wanted to make like videos or commercials or catalogs in New York. All the production moved to California after 9-11. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of like out of the ashes of like the burnt, city like the city that we loved falling apart like claw money was sort of like born from that well it's but it was sort of a byproduct of me just you know dabbling again in graffiti um with miss and then it was sort of like it became advertising for the brand why did you why did you stop doing graph for a while i was busy i was over it i had beef it just was like, I just thought it was dumb. Did you go harder before then or after when you started up again with Miss 17? 
No, I never went as hard as I did when I first started. I didn't even, I feel like I didn't even go that hard with 17. Um, it was just well thought out and well executed mm. and very impactful because it was with an, another woman. Mm. She was painting every night. I was painting like once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Just, but I was like, I have the spot for us. Like, we got to do this. Yeah, spot. you have them in mind. So, um, you know, I had a little notebook in my car. <laughs> and I I don't think I did it like really seriously then and then like the clothes grew out of that and then I just felt like oh I I really like am doing this as marketing for my for my brand and everything was so underground like if the cops came to the store nobody's going to say where they got you know what I mean yeah. it was like real real chill and then um it blew into like a, a real business luckily Used to wear a prom gown when you were painting. I wore everything. And then <laughs> I, wore, I don't know. I came from a party. I had a dra- party dress on. This that. I would like walk all the way up to like a hundredth street, like a Broadway, and like a dress. And like people would be like, "Did you, I just see that woman paint?" I'm like, "No, of course you didn't <laughs> see. You saw nothing." Bye. Um, and that was a, like a great cover, but also it brought all like the like the horny fucking dickwads out you know so it was uh it was a great cover for graffiti but not such like a great cover for like attention or because you were going in all of all the whatever neighborhoods I was, I was going crazy yeah yeah and then um yeah then i started like painting with more people but i i did like the first the early part of my graffiti i was alone a lot and when you opened up your shop finally how long was that after you first initially started making the teas and stuff uh, I started making the teas in 2002 after 9-11, mm-hmm. and I opened the shop in 2014. Okay. It's a long time. Not overnight. I'm not yeah, an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say, like, your brand appealed to a lot of the youth because cause not a lot of brands, um, like, their owners do graffiti or commit, like, you know what I mean, are really part of that culture, so I feel like, the youth if someone's really in it that makes these t-shirts it just has more value to it well i think the claw represents so much more than graffiti and that's why it has more of a universal appeal Mm. it's broader than that and also it has a mutable meaning where the viewer can decide what Mm. it is and make their own interpretation exactly it's up to interpretation and um you know people who love cats yeah, yeah, it love could be anything. Claw, yeah. Right, yeah. love claw, right? <laughs> and when I got, last time I got arrested, and they were like, what is that claw? And I'm like, I'm animal rights. <laughs> and they didn't call Vanta Squad. It was a good one. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's PETA, man. Anti fur, okay? Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's why the claw, the, the claw has so many meanings. Mm. Um, and. Like, as, as we said, that uh, you can d- put your own interpretation on it, and that's why I think it has uh, a mass appeal. Yeah. Do you have any good Vandal Squad stories? Yeah, any, any good Vandal no, Squad No, none. Stories? I have none. Oh, the only Vandal Squad story, because I've never, I never had the pleasure of being arrested by the Vandal Squad. But the Vandal Squad came to my office when I had a, a studio on 23rd Street when they were going hard after Utah. And 
let me see what year is it is two okay definitely like uh statute of limitations is up so uh, utah was she knew she was leaving she was gonna like bounce or maybe she didn't know she was gonna bounce at this time or whatever but I knew I was going to stop painting because I had just gotten a book deal. And I was like, okay, I'm going to like, I did this movie and it's kind of like low key and under, like undercover, but I'm like going to do this book and I got to like stop painting. But this chick is going to like go out of state and I like love her and like, I'm, you know what I mean? Like we got to like do this thing. And she was like, let's just, do, let's hit these trains. And I had hit trains like a couple of times and never really was into doing trains. Nobody saw it. Like mm-hmm. it was just like annoying. Yeah. I hate when graffiti like is reduced to like a photo, like it's sad. Yeah, you know no. what I mean? Um, so she was getting pressed, and Chicago and Boston and now New York Vandal squads were all working together to like get her. Wow. Fucking a man, right? Crazy. Um, for the trains, right? Because that okay. So listen to all my graffiti writers. You don't want the Vandal Squad a-knocking? Don't do transit. Stick to the streets. I stick to the streets. It's my trick. When I do transit, they come to my office. Okay. So they came to, they came to my office. There were 10 of them. Wow. And they all, they, and I had just been to my boy's funeral. So I was wearing a suit. Like, it, I was, it was just a very odd day, right? Like, so I'm, like, wearing this, like, really, like, suit and, like, really nice shoes. My hair is on, makeup on. And the cops walk in, and they see there's, like, five girls in there, and they're, like, fussing around with, like, T-shirts and measuring stuff and folding stuff and da-da-da. And they were just, like, I guess they thought they were going to, like, walk into, like, a graffiti factory. Yeah, and they're, yeah, like, yeah. what is going on? Why are these girls, like, with T-shirts in here? Like, what's <laughs> happening? And why is this, like, claw person in a suit? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> And I was like, can I help you? Like, what do you want? You know, they're like, they're like, we just want to talk to you. And they're like, come outside. And I was like, you can talk in front of, you can talk in front of my employees. They're like, no, come outside. So they made me come out to the hall. And they pulled this picture out of me on the train, on the, on the, standing on the train. (laughs) (laughs) In front of your phone. (laughs) But let me tell, I'll I'll tell you that, this part at the end. Oh, so, and then they pull out a picture of my dog, my 17-year-old three-legged dog. (laughs) Shout out to Peepers. And I had made a, like, a blue tape, like, mohawk and, like, eyebrows and, like, whiskers. So she has, like, all this, like, weird, like, blue tape stuff all over her face. And I'm like, fuck, they found all these emails between me and Utah. And they're printing out these photos. And they're like, who's this in this picture? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And they're like, isn't that your claw? I was like, I don't know. And they're like, is this your dog? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I was just like, I kept being like, I don't know. And they're like, do you have a lawyer? I'm like, I have 10 lawyers. I have 10 fucking lawyers. What lawyer you want to talk to? You want to talk to my IP lawyer? You want to talk to my criminal lawyer? Give me your card. I'll have one of them call you. Are you arresting me? They're like, we're not ready. We don't need to arrest anybody right now. <laughs> so um, my family, right? We'll go back to my family, the black sheep of the family. My uncle was uh, RIP uh, when he was living, was a super high-profile criminal uh, defense attorney. And the first time I ever got arrested, I called him. 
and I was I was young, under 20, and he was like, I'm not going to tell your parents, but just stop this, but if it happens again, just call me. So every time I would get arrested, and whoever I would get arrested with, whether it was 3 o'clock in the morning, I would call my uncle, and there would be some young lawyer from his law firm that would come down to the tombs, like in a bad suit, and they'd be like... Claudia Silver, because that's, my name is Claudia Gold, but that was like my arresting name. So they have like a whole list. They're like, Claudia Silver, Claudia Silverman, Claudia Goldberg, Claudia Gold. I'm like, hi. Because um, I used to try to like sneak out, like if I was sleeping and they said Claudia Silver, I was wake up or something. And they're like, I didn't, I, whatever. It was so stupid. <laughs> so my uncle, I was like, these guys came to my office and they're they're hassling me, and da da da. And he's like, Do you know this woman? And I was like, Yes, it's my friend. I'm not saying anything. Fuck this. And he's like, Okay. And so he's like, She is not dealing with you. If you hassle her anymore, t- like, you are going to be embarrassed beyond belief. <laughs> if you want to talk to her, you call my office first. And they just stopped. But that was it. That's all I had to do with the Vandal Squad. And I'm telling you, they just, they were like, Oh, let's go down and get claw money. <laughs> and then they came in and they're like, Why? are these, like, all these, like, nice little girls here, like, working? Like, it just, it was so funny, because I think they were just like, where am I, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So you never got into any serious trouble for Graf? Never got in serious trouble for Graf. And I think it was definitely, like, my uncle, like, it was just like, oh, we can't, like, really, like, fuck with this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got connections, and... um, I'm I'm really lucky and blessed because I know other people also who are in infamy that got in in trouble. Yeah. And I did not. Because of that. Yeah. Because of that film and stuff. Because of that film. Because we yeah. were actually painting illegal graffiti yeah. with the director and he was like loving it. It was cute. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. cute. It was cute. I was like, come on, jump over the fence. Hmm. We were like jumping in human shit. Like it was disgusting. <laughs> Whatever. How did you, how did you feel to be one of the few writers to represent New York City in that film? Well, of course I didn't want to do it at first. I was like, I can't do it. And then really, like, all of my, like, uh, old school homegirls were like, it's so important. These Mm. girls don't know that you're a woman and you have to tell your story. And if not now, when? Like, you know, I had already started my, like, clothing brand. And, like, it was sort of like, okay, Mm. the party's over. Like, I got to wrap this up. You know what I mean? Like, you can't sort of live in the shadows and then try to, you know, step into the sunlight Mm -hmm. at the same time. So I was, I felt like I had said everything I had to say. Mm. I had done everything I had to do. I had supported the women I wanted to like support and really like throw my, my weight into that and show, um, you know, the world about like equality and all that shit. And there really wasn't any reason for me to paint anymore. It was like on to the next, phase or whatever yeah. mm-hmm. i could only imagine how many girls you motivated all over the world to like start writing graph being like rebellious shout yeah. out to my babies <laughs> 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 yeah but you know really not just girls to everyone yeah, you yeah, know for sure. it's like you can make something from nothing that's that f- my that f- yeah that film was definitely like a landmark in graffiti honestly yeah i think it was like one of the, one of the better films that came out yeah, that was like a 100%. serious yeah. yeah but it's a little depressing Right, it's like a little bit of like a sad movie, Towards and then there, and yeah. then there's me, right? And I'm like, "Whoa, everything's <laughs> yeah. great! Oh, I'm a friend! Wow!" Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just so, just so me. What can I say? I guess you gotta. <laughs> I'm like a little unicorn. Hey. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, so you said that um, when you started stepping into the, I guess, the world of business, and I, you, you said actually that uh, you can't live as a vandal forever. There comes a point where, well, I mean, you can. There's just going to be serious consequences. You can. I just, I'll tell you something. These lifers, these guys that there's no finish line, I get it. I respect it. I just don't think they have a good life. I don't think that, and you know what? This is, this may be, I'm a sellout, this, that, whatever. I think graffiti is a really, like, pure art form. But I also think it's a stepping stone into other things, into like learning about yourself, into learning to trust yourself, into learning to trust your friends, forging friendships, uh, allies, all that stuff, navigating like who you are through, within a community, all of that. Um, but I think like when you become a lifer, like that becomes your whole life. And to me, graffiti is just part of my life Mm -hmm. it's not the only Mm -hmm. thing I care about um and I still feel like even though I'm not like writing illegally like I'm still like in the mix Mm -hmm. and like squashing beef and making calls and like and handling stuff like true to you know my my craft my um community but I'm just not painting Mm -hmm. Illegally, legally, I am. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, but I'm lucky. Not everybody gets to do that, right? So I get to like kind of use the claw yeah. that was illegal. That's that sort of most, like hats off to yeah, like yeah. all my peeps out there doing their thing, and like mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So I think to me, even though like I'm a street artist now, yeah. <laughs> I am. It's horrible. <laughs> I mean, I am, right? Fuck, I do legal murals, but it's like still got, um, it's not graffiti by any means, but it still is hats off to graffiti. You know what I mean? Mm. It's still like reminiscent of graffiti and I'm still repping graffiti because if you go over my shit, I'm going to fucking kill you. I was actually going to ask that. <laughs> what, what, if, what if people go over your mural with a fill? They you, don't. But if they were to, I'm I sorry. would go fix it. You fix it. Yeah. And then their phones start ringing. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. You have beef with Claw, your phone starts ringing. Okay? <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> and a lot of these, these things, you said that uh, when you stepped into the commercial world or the business world, a lot of the things that you learned through Graph were apl- applicable in that world in terms of consistency and uh, just grinding it out, grinding it out day by day until you... I think that, like, I do think that graffiti mimics um, corporate America's, like, rise. It's like you start off, you know, as a lowly toy in the mailroom, right? And you kind of work your way up Mm -hmm. um, in, you know, in your sort of, like, position in in the respect spectrum or whatever. Mm. And it's completely uh, tribalistic and the way we, we do business. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess everything I really learned in graffiti that I could apply to business really gave me like a huge advantage, including like bluffing and sort of like knowing, you know, how to sort of stake your your claim and know when to sort of like pull back and all that. And um, of course, you know, dealing with men. 
<laughs> yeah. So you, you've worked with a lot of crazy companies. I have. Do you I've... ever th- you ever thought that that was going to happen? No, I never thought I was ever going to make a fucking penny from my claw. I never painted to make money from it. I never had any idea that that was going to cross over into my livelihood or my uh, my whole identity as you know, even as like uh, a regular person. Uh, you know, um, I w- like when I started painting graffiti was sort of the end of the train era and everyone fucking hated it. The train riders fucking hated it. They would be like, you are a fucking toy if you didn't get up before 1985 on the INDs and the and the IRTs and BMTs and you ain't shit unless you did this and look at this shit, looks like crap, throw up shit, like, because what Cap and the throw-up guys were doing wasn't, like, considered great or, like, uh, the real, like, art of the train movement. But through the throw-ups is what uh, evolved into into street uh, bombing. Not that they were riding on the street before they were riding on trains, but it wasn't the same thing. Mm -hmm. Where it was, like, you know, going out on, like, nightly missions and trying to, like, figure stuff out. So I had literally no clue that this would ever sort of cross over into uh, my work. What What was the first brand that reached out to you where you were like, holy shit, you really just reached out to me? It was like all at once. Really? <laughs> I don't know. It was just like kind of all at once. Like Nike came. The book people were chasing me down. And, um, you know, after Nike was, you know, NASCAR. And I was doing stuff for Colette, which RIP, which was like the greatest retail store in the world. And um, I don't know. I've done so many like. Whatever, they're lucky to have me. <laughs> <laughs> but feel free to holler. You know, girl needs a gig. <laughs> Talk about the book, Bombshell, right? You're talking about yeah, Bombshell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that about? Um, what was that about? Have you not read Bombshell? <laughs> um, it's just my book. It was like an art book, and it's sort of like a visual autobiography of like everything claw money from fashion to my family and my friends and their graffiti and my graffiti and all sorts of stuff that was um, really sort of like in the, the, the beginning of like my um, ascending of, you know, I feel like that book really sort of made it easy to understand who I was. That like book really like, cha- like changed the perception of like what they saw the claw, they didn't know why they saw it, they didn't know what it was, and then the book came out and they could sort of contextualize it. And that it was a woman, so like the movie came out, but like the movie has a very like niche audience where the book sort of uh, is more broad or that, whatever. That book and to more, you was like a, it was like your retirement, no? It was sort of, I guess, yeah. I knew so when I painted with uh, with Utah, and I did that train. That was like one of the last times I painted illegally because we were just about to finish the book and give it to the publisher to like get ready to print it. It was like at the end of 2005. 
And the book was supposed to come out in 2006, but then there were printing issues and it came out at the beginning of 2007. So I have like, yeah, but the book was basically the tombstone. I called it the tombstone. And then my book publisher told me it was a milestone and not a tombstone. Mm -hmm. So um, they keep asking me to put out a second book, but I'm uh, not there yet. I don't want it to be the same. I want it to be Be something totally different. No, I understand that. Yeah. Mm. You think it would have to do a lot with graffiti or just like current events and like I stuff that's going on? I think I wouldn't do any photos at all and I would any write photos. a book. Any photos, nice. I, because I have um, some crazy, like, you know, it would take you like 90 hours on this podcast to get through all my stories. But I have some like crazy stories. I was thinking it would be really cool to do a book and kind of end it in 1997 when I came back to New York City and not even talk mm. about anything else. Like, mm-hmm. The, the whole like commodification of the claw and the all like mm. the branding of it and um, just sort of end it like as this like you know young woman coming back to New York and kind of restarting her life. Mm. How have you seen New York change from paying $200 in Manhattan to what it is now? New York sucks but like I kind of feel um, with what's going on now is a, a really good thing in a weird mm. way, yeah, even yeah. though it's very like sad and depressing when yeah. you walk around. Soho's like a shanty town, yeah. like it's super weird. But it reminds me of how yeah. Soho was mm. like in the eighties and nineties when it was like a yeah. weird shanty town with like homeless people everywhere, and you would just paint, you know, like you'd be able to like paint graffiti mm. at like eight in the morning because nobody would be walking around. Mm. Of course, there's like cameras and everything. I think it's going to get a lot of the people that were in Manhattan that shouldn't have been there but could be because they had the money out mm-hmm. and then the people that should be there maybe more affordable housing yeah. and mm. bring back um, some flavor. It became a, a, a flavorless place. Yeah. In terms of even graffiti, I seen an article yesterday how the graffiti-free units they're right, like they're suspended. Right, yeah, they that's it. So it's. I don't know. <laughs> is that a lure? Are they? Is that the cops trying to lure? That's interesting. I don't even think of that. Yeah. Oh, I always think. I always <laughs> feel like. I'm I heard like, there's no Vandal Squad right now. Yeah, yeah, Vandal oh, Squad. Really? Either. Meanwhile, like I'm looking at these accounts, I'm like, this is totally the Vandal <laughs> Squad. Like, who is this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm so paranoid. But um, I guess whatever. That's how how I had to be. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I almost feel like it's some kind of like like little setup, switch right? Yeah, so that because there's cameras everywhere and they can just catch you. So they're like, "Hey, it's a mm. free for all. Why don't you join in?" And now, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of what they d- what they're doing with the protest. The and protest. The I heard about that. That months they're after they're gonna look after the they're gonna you know, go after these people. Really? Yeah. And then I, I, I yeah. read that they're giving seven thousand dollars information towards wow. anyone known looting, and they're gonna. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like everything is not as it appears. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're going so hard mm-hmm. announcing that there's no graffiti, like, is that yeah. who they're coming from? Why would they around? announce that? You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems like why would... If anything, yeah. just keep it low keep if they don't low, want people vandalizing. Right? Doesn't that seem very weird? Yeah. Got to question so, everything. You got to yeah. question everything. What are your views on what's going on right now in terms of this whole virus and all that stuff? Do you truly believe that it's what they say? No. So I don't fucking know. I don't know. I feel like this is the beginning of the new world order. Yeah. They're making us go into our homes, lose our jobs, become confined and get used to it, right? Yes. And I'm like stuck in a house now with like 
my husband and my kid that I have to, yeah. uh, you know, be with 24 hours a day. There's, I can't work, you yeah. know, and this who's going to watch my kid? Like, it's just, it's, I mean, I'm, I have a husband. We have like, whatever he can, you know, I can work part time and mm. I am, but I can't work at full capacity. They're trying to bring in some new shit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's what it is, but yeah. it's something. No, things are definitely changing. People are dying. Yeah. I know so yeah. many people who died in the last three months. Mm. And some of them not from corona, but from quarantine. Like, from the effects of the quarantine. Wow. Like, turning into, like, either suicides or ODs. Wow. Like, it's really fucking rough. It's really terrible. I think they're really dismantling our entire society. Yeah. But the for thing, what? Mm -hmm. And then yeah, for what? Ninety-nine percent survival rate of something that's but, worse, like less worse than the flu. But yeah. at the same time, like your grandmother, your uncle, yeah. like you know what I mean? Like they're so susceptible. I lost um, three of like my husband's like childhood like neighbors or something mm. that. You know, he, they seemed healthy, like they died of COVID. Mm. So it's, it's real. Do you know what I mean? And the hospitals were completely overwhelmed. There were trucks outside yeah. with dead bodies. So how could it be fake? But yeah. it's also, like, it might not affect us, but then they're saying it's coming to affect 20-somethings and giving them brain damage. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is this real? Is it not real? I think you have, like, there's something going on. Do I think it was engineered in the lab? I actually do. Yeah. And, you know, was this sent by another country to de destroy our economy? Yeah. What makes you think it was engineered in a lab? Because it's killing a certain... Um type of person that had you know what I mean I don't know it might not be I, it's just what I think I'm mm -hmm, not yeah. you know I'm not a doctor I'm yeah. like mm -hmm. just my fucking crackpot theories but <laughs> I don't know I don't know why I think it was created in the lab it just seems a little too convenient mm -hmm. yeah. but even speaking of the doctors like all they have to say I've seen articles and all they have to say is according to medical studies and then they can say whatever they want and people believe it so as long as they say that people are just like oh that's true but then, so. again, my sister's a doctor. Yeah. She's fucking working in the goddamn hospital. Yeah, yeah. And she's working, you know, 20-hour days and going mm. home to sleep for four hours and working every single day mm. because they, it's all hands on deck and it's just insane. She's a pediatrician. She's seeing these kids with it. And she, like, they don't know what it is. They don't know how to mm. fix it. They can get you better if you they have all the... But they also can't. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's very scary also not knowing what it is, right? So I hate wearing a mask. I have fucking pimples everywhere. I never mm. had fucking pimples like this, you know, for 20 years. <laughs> like, mm. I, uh, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I read something. It was on the news. It was like, if you just, if we were to just wear a mask for, I think it was like three weeks or something like that, then we completely shut out the virus. Whereas then I saw this other thing on Instagram. It was like a chart, uh, like a bar chart of um, all the different countries and the numbers of them flowing. And America started like here. And then over time, it just all the other countries like we're all the way over here. And you know what it is? Because 
it's just like an American thing to really be questioning authority blatantly. And but our media is so fucked up. Mm-hmm. They're so angry and they're so untruthful and they yeah. they are pushing agendas. Whose yeah. agendas? I don't know. But it's definitely a fear course. agenda. Right. A lot and of people so are scared. And there's this like crazy fear agenda. And so you, once you can't trust the the media and they're giving you information, this one says this. Like, who do you believe? Yeah, you turn like, to your own your own opinions, your well, own that's, views. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. In, in other countries, at least my family's from Ecuador. No one over there questions the media they see something on the news and that's the bottom line but it's an american thing to even if the media has clearly lied to them in the past and the government has stolen hundreds of dollars from the citizens here it's like immediate question which leads to some people wearing a mask some people not different beliefs and then it leads to whatever it leads to but i think that that's a big a big part of it is our uh a lot of I, when, what i was thinking about like hardcore punk music it originated in america Graffiti, it originated in America. Skateboarding, it originated Rebel- in America. It's ba- it, this things. whole country is ba- based on rebellion. Hip-hop, yeah. Uh, totally. I yeah. mean, we rebelled from England, and like, mm-hmm. we're not listening to this, and we're doing that, and we're taking this, and yeah, I, I agree with you. It is, But it also is very American to be like, very bored of COVID. I'm very bored of mm-hmm. it, and it's nice out, and I want to go like, hang with my mm-hmm. friends, and yep fucking go to the park and get on tinder or whatever the fuck it is that people do um to just be like i'm over it like you know what i mean and not sort of follow through with things that could act ultimately like benefit everyone because at the end of the day none of us really know what's exactly what's going on nobody knows our ideas but we don't truly know if we're right there's no way to prove it it's only like you know what I mean? We're hearing so much conflicting evidence every single day. When it first started, it was no one wear a mask if you're not a physician. And the next day, it's everybody wear a mask. And the next day, it's masks don't work. And then we're like, all right, well, these were all from valid, valid media sources. But then you have a president who, right, is saying this guy is the guy to listen to, wear a mask, and then he doesn't wear a mask. Like, it's just, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yes, America's sort of screwed up in their in their whole belief system america's a very weird country we like love crime and gangsterism but you know only in movies but yeah yeah, they like romanticize it right and and like violence and warfare and Mm. all and racism and all this stuff but not you know just in movies or whatever Mm. it's crazy it's totally fucked up it is a fucked up country. And I didn't even grow up like that. I grew up like being super patriotic. I was hyped. Mm. I was American. Then I realized after traveling through America that like, ugh, New York yeah. is the only place to be. <laughs> yeah. And like, we should be our own country because the rest of America is like ridiculous. And yeah, America's embarrassing. I don't know. Like, it's weird. Like the whole racism thing, like, right? Being from New York, you're like, People are racist yeah, like yeah. that? Like, how can they be? Like, in New York, it's almost racism. What? Yeah. You know? But. A lot of these events show brought out that racism in a lot of people that you never even knew were racist. Like, especially this whole thing, this division with the cops and going on right now. You see, for example, in Bay Ridge, all these people coming out. And then the people that are, um, you know, about Black Lives Matter, they're going there. And you see the complete opposites of people conflicting to the point of physical, like, you know, fights going on. So, like, 
what is going on right now? Like these people were usually quiet. Now all this is going on. You know, I'm talking about the people that support like the cops. You know, being so racist. They're like, get them out of here. You know, and they're yeah, they're in all these different pockets in New York City, but they stay in their little pockets. Yeah, yeah. stay in your little. They got their little community. But the, I heard the cops aren't even going out there. Like, there's no cops anywhere. They just... Can you imagine having a job, right, where you're like, I just don't get enough credit. I'm just not getting no, of the course. credit I yeah. need. So I can't go out there and do my job because people aren't licking my ass. Yeah. Get these fucking cops out of here. You guys are doing a fucking bad job and go fucking do it. Go do better. What do you it. think that we should do for restructuring the police system? What am I, a fucking city planner? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, they need, to, they need to fire all these cops and hire new cops. They need to, like, have um, sensitivity training. They yeah, need to 100%. fucking understand, like, race relations. Mm. They need to, like, give a shit about the community they're serving instead mm. of just, like, pushing numbers and, you know, getting collars and, like... The whole, but it can't happen because the whole city gets money from people being arrested and going and yeah. process, being yeah. processed and going through the system. So they don't have that window of people firing are cops. Paid. Yeah. They are getting yeah. fucking money for it. Yeah. They are getting overtime mm. to fucking arrest them and process the fucking stupid ass paperwork. It's corrupt, and I think it's always been corrupt. It's just now people see it and mm. are realizing it. Uh. I don't know how to do it, but it's something has got to be done. Yeah, with the whole COVID thing, you, you didn't fiend to, oh, wow, there's no cops outside. Maybe I should go paint. There's not that many people outside. Maybe I should go painting. I can wear a mask and not be looked at weird. Maybe I should go painting. I can't paint because I have a kid, and I just can't deal with the idea of being, like, dragged out of my house in front of my kid. Like, mm. I just can't, like, deal with that mm. thought, like, right now. Mm-hmm. No, I don't wanna. I don't wanna go painting. So I, ne- I never. I never want to go painting. I don't even want to paint when they like pay me to paint. I'm like, ugh. Mm. <laughs> 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 I'm like, great. I have a job. Um, like, no. I whatever. It's not like fun. It's work now. Like, yeah. it's not like even when I was like bombing, it was like a job, and like it just mm. like stops being fun. Like. Do I want to turn the clock back and be 18 years old with the wind blowing through my hair and crush some fill-ins and, like, go back and have my friends, like, drive me so I can take pictures and feel all high and smoke a victory blunt? Yes. Is that going to happen? No. Do I have to fucking paint a claw to feel alive? No. I figured out other ways to, like, have satisfaction in my life. I think I didn't when I was... You know, early on when I was painting, that was like my joy vehicle. And now it is not. It, is, it would only bring me problems. I don't want to be a lifer. But I love graffiti and I'm a fan of graffiti. I will help perpetuate real graffiti um, in any way I can and support the people that are doing it, support the culture, elevate the culture. But me, myself, going out and painting... I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's, if anything, admirable because it's just at the end of the day, that's just adaptation to the times changing and your life changing. And you got to be able to fucking yeah. move. Yeah, priorities. you got to be able to turn on a dime. you got to be 
malleable, flexible. That's how you win in life. How am I going to get through fucking COVID? I am going to take all different kinds of jobs, doing things that I've never done before. I just fucking art directed a website for Porsche products. Would I have ever taken that job before? Probably not. I am malleable. I think that is the key to surviving. 100%. And for graffiti's benefit, is it for for me to be in the streets? Or is it for me to be sort of talking its praises Mm. now that I'm like turning into like an elder statesman, supporting young people that are putting in the work? Know your fucking role. And like... Graffiti is a is a young person's game. When I I'll, I'll be honest, when I see older people, I'm a little bored. I'm a little bit bored. I'm like, damn, you know, this still gets your. But you know what? God bless them if that's what they want to do and that's what they're into. Some people, that's their shit. And you know what? I'm not gonna judge. For me, it's not the right choice. Do you still pay attention to it? Like when you see it, what do you, what goes through Hell your mind? Hell yeah. Oh. Yeah, and I'm like literally like squashing beef yeah. constantly <laughs> between so many different people and like have to be like like pulled into some bullshit uh, on some crap. But um, me, myself, am I getting my hands dirty? No, but yeah. that's my style. It's really interesting you say the role because like graffiti does need people like you that have an outside perspective and can guide the younger generation like you said because... I don't yeah. think it's a happy life yeah. or a good life to mm. be painting graffiti. Yeah. For example, to when, be a lifer, like you said. Right, yeah. to be a lifer. I don't think it is the be-all, end-all. Yeah. And um, just having all that pressure on you yeah. all the time to even just maintain your spots. or mm. When you're old, man, it's like, yeah, it yeah. just seems so, you know, like there's just other things that seem to take more precedence but I've changed I became a fucking mom and a business owner and like responsible for Mm. four employees getting paid and like you know what I mean like it's a a lot of pressure and if I go down I take a lot of people down with me Mm -hmm. so I can't I can't go down yeah I'm fucking retired man I'm retired one day my kid is college (laughs) he'll be like damn mom did you go bombing that's really Really lame. <laughs> Did you hit up ninety five, mom? <laughs> yeah. So it's been an hour and a minute. I definitely have heard some. I really enjoyed this conversation. Okay. If you got any anyone you want to shout out, anyone anything like that, anything you want to say to the the youth that is listening right now. Paint graffiti and figure out your life. <laughs> Don't be a lifer. Lifer's not, it's not, it's not the, li- the life you yeah. want. Um, but you know what? Fuck it. What do I know? I know nothing about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing about masks. So therefore, I know nothing about, uh, about anything. And, and, you know, whatever. P- choose your lane. And I, of course, I'm shouting out all of my peoples. You know who you are. And um, all the lovely ladies out there doing their thing. Oh, money. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much.